Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Migro, migro, migro. What was that? Hey, man, what's up, guys? Welcome to Shining Delight. That is uh, my Italian opera singer coming out, Andrew here, uh, joined by Ro and Neville. Ro Daddy, that's what people call Oh, Ro Daddy, what's up, history? brother? Yeah, that's what Boom, little, friends call it. Little fist bump, no. bro. Come on, fist bump. Come on, Ro Daddy. It's a stupid nickname. Oh, I'm not oh, fist He didn't fist bump me, dang it. It's a stupid nickname. No, my friends don't call me that. The people that I hate call me that. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Ro, my friend Ro, not the thank person you. I hate. Yeah, thank you. All right, Ro, what's our icebreaker for the day? What's the Lord been teaching y'all lately? Usually we do like a, like a kind of a lighthearted, stupid icebreaker. I just, I just want to know, what's the Lord been teaching y'all lately? Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. I think it has been one of those weeks or that season or that year for me. Uh, Many times people are like, well, 2020 was pathetic, but for me, I'm like, 2021 has been uh, interesting. And I think it was great to be reminded that the Lord will fight for me and I only need to be still. And that part of scripture comes, you know, during the Exodus and uh, the Israelites had left Egypt and they were seeing all these things, you know, they were being pursued by the Egyptians and they're facing hunger and uh, absence of water while in the wilderness and they were just so very frustrated and uh yeah moses just reassures them that hey the lord will fight for you you only need to be still and in that moment there's usually a cloud of fire by day no a cloud by day and a fire, by, fire night. by night really just guiding them through the wilderness through the storms and through those difficult situations yeah so that has been great mm. yeah that's good um i've been in the beatitudes well i've been memorizing the beatitudes as well as other areas of the Bible, I could just say a lot, but the Beatitudes have been standing out to me the most, where Jesus is um, sermon on the mount, and he goes with the mountain, and he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, um, and just really seeing that as like, that's what we're called to be, actually, um, is those who are merciful, are the peacemakers, um, are those the one who are persecuted for righteousness sake, and like using that as our identity inside of Christianity, like we're called to be doing those things. And so it was like, I remember this week specifically, it was like, got an argument with a friend, and I'm like, man, I'm called to be a peacemaker inside of that. Um, and then he goes on to say that a, a peacemaker will be called a child of God, or children of God. And I'm like, man, if I'm not making peace here, hmm. I'm not called it. I'm not. I'm not really doing my best. I'm not representing the king very well. So it's been in the beatitudes. are really like we kind of just kind of go go through them really fast because repetition, repetition. Um, but there's a lot of depth inside of those. What about you, Ro? Uh, reading through First Samuel right now, which I love because I love history. But I wish I would have read Judges before, just because it kind of gives the backstory. But I think it's really interesting what happened when the people of Israel begged God for a king. Because it was, they were tacitly saying, "We don't trust you. We want someone that we yeah. can see that we can follow." And so God honored their wishes. He gave them a king, but then He also gave them a warning that this is not going to go well for you in the end. And I, we, I mean, we saw that. I mean, they had Saul, who was mediocre. David was pretty great. Solomon was pretty good, but then Solomon kind of fell off a cliff later in his life. And then they had, <laughs> then they had a string of losers for a long time. And then you know the kingdom of Israel broke in two. Um, and so there, there was kind of that reminder of when we beg God for an earthly leader, you know, whether it be our mm. own pride or our career or whatever, um, it 
he will give it to us every once in a while, but it, it often leads to our own destruction. Mm. Yeah, quite a bit. That's why he says, how much harder is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? It's, hard, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because that person has power and wealth and they start relying upon their self. That's what happens to those kings. Power, wealth, good looks. Oh, I'm the wisest man who ever lived. Oh, I'm a head taller than everybody else. Yeah. Oh, I can And I sing. think Ro once clarified it on this show that the needle in reference is not an actual tiny whatever, right? It's not that. People, I mean, people say... It, I don't. I don't know if I said, it, but they talk about how a needle is a small gate. Yeah. And it, I don't. I. There's that. There's debate either way. Could be. Could be referring to either one of those. It, I mean, the whole thing. The the core message stays the same. Absolutely. Message stays the same. Yeah. It's very very difficult. <laughs> but what is impossible with man is possible with God. About that. Today we are disrupting <laughs> our uh, streaming of uh, identity series to bring to you. A special episode on apologetics. Speaking of apologetics, Andrew, did you know Roe is an author? Roe is an author. He's I, written a book on I apologetics. I have not read his book. No, He's he, writing like two more. On, 16 to go. Wow, that's incredible. Yes. That's awesome, Roe. So he, Appreciate it. What is I, didn't, I didn't ask Nabil to say that. That's one of, <laughs> you can find stones, it. Where can we find this book? Where can we find Amazon. Anywhere. Anywhere books are sold, actually. Really? What's the title? Goodreads uh, of Storms. Whispers, no. Storms, fire, whispers. Storms, fire, and whispers, hearing God through the storms of life. Yeah. Mm, life's journey, yeah, something like that. Yes, yes. All right, we'll yes. post a link to it so you guys can take a look at it. Absolutely. If you're interested in more apologetic answers and questions. Speaking of apologetic questions, what's our first, Andrew? I do not. Did Jesus come back to life, raised from the dead? Is yes. that the one? Yes, All right. That's it. Like the most important question to Christianity because 99% of historians will look back and say, Jesus was a man who actually lived and he, who actually died. Right? Yeah. And now the difference is, do you believe that he is God and has power over life and death and rose from the grave? Did he really rise from the dead? That is the central question to all of Christianity Let's and to many other religions. Mm. Ro, I think you're the smartest one at this. Why don't you start us off with uh, some ideas? I don't know about that. Um, I haven't written a book. Okay. But you are in seminary, so. I, but I appreciate that. Um, yeah, the... Jesus is referenced in official Roman government documents. I think that's one thing that people often miss. Um, a lot of people think that Jesus was a legend, not in the, the way that we would use the word, like an actual legend. I mean, he's just a made-up story that got passed down from generation to generation. But he, he's in Roman official government documents. There was a senator named Tacitus who kind of took on the role of the, his, the historian of the Roman Empire. Hmm. He wrote a book called The Annals of Rome. And in that book... He references a man named Christus who died around the year 30 to 33 AD who had a lot of followers. And it's pretty obvious he's talking about Jesus. Um, and, you know, you have that, and then you also have the, the Jewish historian Josephus who also referenced the life of Jesus. You see references of the life of Jesus in other, you know, mm -hmm. non-biblical accounts. So everyone agrees that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. And everyone, almost everyone. And, yeah, almost everyone. And there's almost unanimity that he was crucified by the Roman government publicly in or about the year 30 to 33 AD. So that, that, that much is well established. The question is, what happened two days later? Did he actually walk out of the tomb? Did the resurrection actually happen, or is he still dead? Is his body still somewhere around? And the reason why I'm a Christian is because when I look at that weekend and everything that happened on that weekend, I can't come to a logical conclusion other than he raised from the dead, because... If he, he died, we all know he died, right? And the reason that they killed him, the reason that the Roman government killed him, is because they had been convinced by the Jewish leaders that he was going to start an uprising. And 
to the Roman government during this time in the first century, they were in this period called the Pax Romana, where it was it's a Roman it's a Latin phrase for Roman peace. And it was called Roman peace because they were really good at stamping out insurrections. They didn't have a lot of insurrections. They just killed everybody. They just killed everyone. If you oppose them, dead. And so crucifixion crucifixion came into play in that time because it was a brutal way to die. And the way they killed you were on a 10-foot piece of wood. So, And then they would also crucify you on the edge of town. So anyone walking into town would see this is what happens when you oppose the Roman government. So that's when, that's when crucifixion comes into play is during this time. And that's why they killed Jesus via crucifixion. Because they were convinced that he was going to start an insurrection. So they crucified him on the edge of town, uh, publicly. And, you know, fun fact, under Roman law, a Roman citizen could not be crucified because it was such a brutal way to die. You could only crucify foreigners. And Jesus Jesus was not a Roman citizen. He was a foreigner. That's, oh. why, that's why it was legal for them to kill him. Uh, it was legal for them to crucify him. It's also why Paul was probably beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. Oh, but um, wow. So they couldn't crucify Paul, but they can crucify Jesus because Jesus was a foreigner. So that's why he was crucified. So he's killed in this, this brutal, humiliating public way. And everybody knows he's dead because no one survives that. And yet three days later, word starts to go around town that the guy that we killed on Friday is now walking around today. Um, he's walking around on Sunday. And that, that presents a very big problem for the Roman government because if you kill a guy – thinking he's going to start a revolution. The worst possible thing that could happen is rumors several days later that he's not actually dead. That's a very bad thing for you. What would start a revolution faster than a resurrected revolutionary? Um, and so they have a very serious problem on their hands. So if you're the Roman government, the rational thing to do is just present the body of Jesus. Because then you could say, you could snip, you could nip it right in the bud. You could say, look, this guy's not actually dead. We can prove it. Here's his body. Jesus did not actually raise from the dead. It would have been a very easy thing to do for the Romans to stamp out Christianity the first day that it happened. Yet they didn't do it. They didn't present the body. They did not present the evidence that Jesus was actually dead. And I think the reason why they didn't present the body is because there was no body to present, because the tomb was actually empty. Um, it would have been extraordinarily easy for the Romans to, to disprove the resurrection early, but they didn't do it because they couldn't. And furthermore, you look at the apostles— people that gave their lives in service of Jesus, literally and figuratively, they dedicated their lives, and then they also also were willing to die brutal deaths. I mean, one guy was sawed in half, Paul was beheaded, James was thrown off a building, um, Peter was crucified upside down, and they were all willing to die brutal deaths. And if Jesus never rose from the dead, and that was all a lie, it would make no sense for those guys to then turn around and die for that lie. Because plenty of people have died for a lie. I mean, you see it in cults all the time. People die for false beliefs, but they don't die for things that they know is a lie, right? So for the apostles to give their lives for something, they have to have known for a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Otherwise, they would not have died willingly for that. And so that's a long-winded answer, but that's why I look at the events of that weekend, of Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. And I think the only logical conclusion you can come to is that Jesus actually walked out of the tomb. And therefore, since he walked out of the tomb— He's alive. Death has no dominion over him. And he was telling the truth when he said that he was God. And therefore, he's still alive and active today, and that's why I have given my life to him. Wow, what an opener. Uh, Pontius Pilate actually never sentenced Jesus to be killed, right? He washed his he washed his hands and then just... He washed his hands, meaning the, the blood be upon the guilt of the Jews. Pontius Pilate had the control, so the Jews were not the ones who could execute him. Right, in that sense, because Pontius Pilate is in charge of this area of the Roman Empire. Um, and so it was he who said, 
who put him out there, right? The Jews wanted it, but he washed his hands of it and says, may his blood be upon your hands. Even though he still had a part on it, so then in God's eyes and everyone else's eyes, he's still technically a part of it. He was a spineless politician. Yeah. He was trying to blame the people for a decision that he was willing to make. That's what he was doing. So he still made made the executive decision. Uh, It'd be like our president today saying, yep, I didn't make that decision, wash my hands of that kind of a deal, but we're going to have to do it anyways because that's what the people want. Do we get to talk about Afghanistan? No, no. Uh, we're not going to talk. That's another episode there. <laughs> world events going on now and how we should approach them as Christians. That's our ne- another episode later on. Right. Uh, I think that's a. It's probably one of the the better the best responses is looking at the drastic change of the disciples having fled, go in the upper room because I believe they even um, talk about it early on. Uh, earlier than that is like, what should we do? Um, and talk about another insurrectionist who was killed, right? And all his disciples and followers fled. That's what normally happens. Um, but then that's what they did. The disciples of Jesus did the same exact thing. They fled, they ran. Um, but obviously seeing someone come back from the grave and then him sending you out, you're like, oh, snap, we got a job to do. This guy is real. This is legitimately the Messiah and the Savior. He has power over life and death. And they did that. And as Rose said, they all died deaths. And more so looking at Paul is probably the most drastic one of that, where you're like a man who had wealth, power, was on his way to, could be to becoming the high priest, like had everything set up in his life, drastically gives it all up to proclaim the gospel and is, um, you know, lashed four or five times, 39 times, you know, is stoned to death multiple times, never actually dies in that, goes through all this horrible suffering, shipwrecked, all these things for someone who died? No, he literally came back from the grave. And so Paul saw him and was drastically transformed. So these lives of transformation really point to like, huh, I'm pretty sure Jesus came back from the dead because it drastically changed lives. And James too. James yeah. was Jesus's blood brother. Lived in this, grew up in the same house with Jesus, and then thought Jesus was insane his entire life because Jesus was walking around claiming to be the creator of the universe. So James thought that Jesus was nuts. And then what changed all of that? He saw Jesus die and then walk out of a tomb. Wow. Yep, that's a game changer. And when when James was asked what changed, he said, "I saw a guy die and then raised from the dead. That is a game changer. That's going to change the way that I think." And Paul saw the revelation of Jesus to him personally. Like that game changes everything. Uh, there have been, I mean, over the years, there have been a lot of uh, people claiming to be messiahs, right? So, like, in my village in Kenya, this one guy, his name is Ondeto, and he's like, yeah, I'm the black messiah, blah, 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 blah. And we've had people such as Bar Kochba. I mean, through the centuries, we see yeah. a lot of these people, right? Now, why is Jesus the only messiah? And all these other people who claim to have lived, died, and resurrected, right, from their graves, why are they not? Why are they uh, charlatans? I think, charlatans? I think Jesus intentionally set up the Christian church in a way that it should be very easy to disprove. But after 2,000 years, it, after 2000 years, it still has not been. Um, Christianity should be the easiest thing in the world to disprove because it rests on two things. Number one, Jesus has to be God. Otherwise, he's a liar. Otherwise, Christianity isn't true. So Jesus has to be God. Number two, he has to have risen from the dead because the entire faith hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus never raised from the dead, he wasn't telling the truth. He's a liar. He wasn't actually God. So Jesus has Mm -hmm. to be God. Mm -hmm. He has to have risen from the dead. Now, since both of those things are humanly impossible, it should be very easy to prove that Jesus was wrong in one or both of those things. It should be very easy to prove that Jesus was not God, and it should be very easy to prove that he didn't raise from the dead. Yet after 2,000 years, it's still standing, right? It's almost as if like it's everything's built on this, this very narrow foundation. And so the fact that it's still here kind of points to something that maybe that foundation is, is pretty strong, mm. that even though it's, it's 
narrow, it's still holding to that. And not only is it holding, it's growing, right? It, it's not like it's it's a one group of people that kind of pass down the story from generation to generation. No, it is growing. It's growing into different people groups and has been for the last two millennia. And so I think w- when you look at the the how easy it should be to knock down this entire house of cards and the fact that it still hasn't been done, I, I think that in and of itself is more proof than any other person who claims to have been Messiah. Man, I can also, I can't really add much too much to that besides look at Jesus has probably been the most studied man in history besides that, because these other people realize that the, the other truth claims that people are making, these false messiahs, these false individuals, they don't add up. They don't live a perfect life. They may claim to be God or be the Messiah, but their lives don't add up to that. And there may be a couple followers for a while, but after time they're like, no, he's not. He's dead now. He's not really doing anything. Um, but Jesus does things in such a way that's drastically different. People are like, huh, we got to start studying this guy. And like Rose said, it holds up. I have a couple of friends that are auditors. They work for an accounting firm. They do auditing. And the way that they thoroughly go through a company's financials is mind-blowing to me. They will go to their warehouse. They will physically count their inventory. They will look at every single bank statement. They will reconcile every single bank statement. They do not miss anything, and they're they're human auditors. They're looking at a company, right? Over 2,000 years, everyone has basically, for lack of a better term, audited the gospel for mm. 2,000 yep. years. Archaeologists. But, I mean, historians are also going to be taking historian, care of these things. Yeah. Um, um, but everyone has looked at this from every different angle, and there is no other logical explanation as to what happened on that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. Our Muslim friends believe that Jesus indeed existed as a prophet of God and was born to Virgin Mary, right? And uh, it's been very, I mean, in the conversations that have been privileged to have, it's been very difficult to convince someone who believes that of the actual truth or what I believe to be the actual truth that I subscribe to, right? Mm -hmm. So what to do, guys? And, and, And our Hindu friends, right, they believe that Jesus actually went to India and was, uh, and, and learn from the spiritual gurus in that environment. Yeah, it's it's funny that he shows up in almost every religion. Yes. All the major religions, you have Hinduism, Buddhism, um, I just said Islam, Christianity. But religion, all these religions. Judaism have a, yes. even have him in there because they the report was, they say that his disciples stole the body, right? He says it in the scriptures, like yeah. that's the report the Jews believe. Uh, and so his, he shows up everywhere. That's just, a, that's just the first thought, ponder that. Why would, why would Islam talk about him? Why would Hindu talk about him? Why would the Buddhist have him in there? Right? It's just the first question. So the, just to respond to that, the, if one theory for the resurrection is that Jesus never rose from the dead because the disciples stole the body, two points. Number one, that tomb was guarded by very highly trained Roman soldiers who would have been executed if they let the body be stolen. That was the penalty. Oh, wow. Yeah, they would have been executed. So two Roman soldiers are not going to let a bunch of guys walk in, roll a giant stone away, and then steal the body. Right? They're just not going to let that happen. But even if you believe that they were capable of doing that, it goes back to then if, if the disciples actually stole the body, then they would have known the resurrection was a lie and it would have made no sense for them to give their lives for something they knew to be a lie, right? So just wanted to answer that. Going back to the question on yeah, why in Islam, why would show up as, as a prophet inside of there? Um, my first thought is looking at how we believe that Artemis, the adversary, is Satan. Satanus means adversary in the Old Testament. Um, mentioned, many, I think, 39 times in the Old Testament, more in the New Testament. Um, it is our adversary. He's also known as the deceiver. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have deception there, um, we know that everyone knows that Jesus was a great man, was a good man. And so if we can make everyone believe that, right, you're already, okay, yeah, he's a good man. 
but we want people want him to Satan wants us to stop there. So ponder that, right? If because if we just believe Jesus is a good man, that changes nothing. And so that's really what Islam believes is that he was just a good man, and that changes nothing for them overall. There, Satan's like, good. They believe that they're never going to want to believe he's the Messiah. They're never going to want to get past that. That's the first thing is like deception, getting as close to possible but not actually the real thing is the best way to cover something up. And even right now, we look at, I'm thinking right now in the world right now, what is it? When Jesus comes back, what we believe is there's going to be a unified kingdom underneath him, right? And the world, what do you hear start hearing these, these ideas of like one world order, right? Happening right now and kind of these king, people coming together. And you're like, I feel like Satan, deceiver, is setting something up similar, right? An idea, not, not a perfect kingdom like Jesus is going to bring, but something that could be similar to that in ideas. And like if the father lies, like we could actually achieve that without peace that Christ brings, and so he tries to get as close as possible to the real thing, but it's not the real thing. Yeah, and also just, you know, more practically speaking, the Quran was written several centuries after the crucifixion. The gospel was written several decades. And just from any, in any other area, any archaeologist will tell you, you prefer the source that is written closer to the event. And so I'm much more willing to trust the gospels. because Not, not only am I much more willing, I have given my life to trusting what the gospels have said, is because it, has, it was written in a much closer proximity than the Quran by several different authors, by the way, that all, that all different, that all uh, confirm each other's stories. The thing about the, you're talking, I mean, we're talking about the Bible there, Southern authors, bibliology, but if you look at the Quran in that sense, obviously written in the sixth, seventh century. So you said 700 years later, more or less six, 700 years later. Oh, really? But we also look at that Muhammad never wrote it down just so you guys know. So like when we look at the Quran, even on that, we'll look at chronology, whatever you want to call it. We look at that never written down. It was actually, um, written down by people he told it to, like his four chief men after that. They're like, hey, we got to preserve his words. So what they had memorized, they started writing it down. Um, and actually they had like four different texts. And I think it was the second caliph ended up, second or third caliph ended up um, seeing the differences between the different texts in there and had a couple men murdered, their text destroyed, and then added such change so that only one text of the Quran existed inside of that. Wow. Um, that's what he did. Yeah, you can look back in history if you're um, a Muslim, like reading this, listening to this right now, let's talk more about it. Um, but that's what happened there is they said he orally taught it, Muhammad did, and then those gentlemen wrote it down themselves. It wasn't Muhammad wrote it down, so we have a lot of textual variants there and how they wrote it down. And then later on, one of the caliphs had them destroyed to be which one he wanted to follow because he's like, we can't have all these different things out there. What are these disagreements here? Right versus what Rose said is the biblical text lining up, um, the Christologies, the Gospels having four different perspectives that really line up in things. And also, you're never going to find a point in history where all of the Bible comes from one source. You're never mm-hmm. going to find that because the Old Testament, the first five books, while they were written by Moses, those were stories that had been passed down for generations. Um, and so everybody knew the story. So if Moses was writing the first five books and he decided to freestyle it, everyone, the, everyone would have known that he was making it up because those stories had been passed down. Likewise, with the Gospels, there is no one central copy of the Gospel that we've all been you know, copying down for 2,000 years. It's the disciples, those stories, likewise, were passed, were told in, to a bunch of people, and then they were written down a few years after the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. But there are four different Gospels that all confirm each other's accounts. There is no one central account. And so even, and, and it kind of goes back to, no one can stand up and say, I have the one true word of God and it is different from everyone else's because everyone else in the world could then fact check that guy and say, nope, 99.99999% of us have says one thing and yours says something else. Therefore, yours is obviously the wrong one, right? We can all counterbalance and, and fact check each other's copies. That's why there is no one central copy of the Bible that we've all just been writing down from. Have you guys read the Book of Mormon? 
No. Uh, I have not read the Book of Mormon. Uh, the Book of Mormon um, adds to the Bible, um, and the Book of Mormon was taken there in 1850. Um, the other thing when we start looking at other religions, which we'll kind of go into a little bit more here now, was that it's, it is 1850 years after Jesus, after going on there, after the Gospels are accounted for. Um, but I want to start asking, like, look at the men who founded the faith and how they act. Um, so Joseph Smith was actually put in prison in a small town. I think it was in Missouri or somewhere there. Um, and while he died with his brother while trying to escape the prison. And why was he put in prison? Um, because he had been seducing the farmer's wives, or not farmer's wives, the farmer's daughters and having sex with them in the area. Um, but just literally, <laughs> that's why he was put in prison because the, the farmers were so upset about it. So they put him in prison. And then I believe he died in a shootout trying to get out of the prison. That's how he died. So this man, he was living a very... Uh, sexual lifestyle um, and making lies and, and claiming these things um, and look at I wouldn't I wouldn't follow a guy who was in prison for having sex with farmers daughters and things like that that's just the, one of the basic stories I know and I know he had something like 42 spiritual li- wives and slept with his be- his best friend's wives as well and he's like oh no that's my spiritual wife it's okay right and then we look at uh, Muhammad and how many jihads he went on um, and, and killing people inside of that like he took up the sword and that's why in Islam that's where we have the movement on the more radical or you can say conservative um, Muslims where the jihad is this is the best way to, to like guarantee my I go to heaven like the jihad is the holiest thing I can do is killing people who are not Muslim right that's why they go about doing ter- what we call terrorist acts or blowing themselves up like, and that's exactly what Muhammad did was go about killing innocent people a lot of times or forcing them to become Islamic. And I'm like, why would I follow someone like that who killed people? And I know he also had seven or eight wives, the youngest one being, I think it was eight or nine when he married her. And I'm looking at these things and like, and then I'm looking at Jesus and I'm like, man, he did the opposite. When I'm talking about the Beatitudes, he was a peacemaker, came in there doing stuff the complete opposite how everyone expected him to. He didn't come conquering like the Messiah they thought he was, but he actually came in willing to suffer for people and willing to die for people. Which is like, what kind of Messiah is that? What kind of like leader of your religion that you're following does that? It's opposite what everything else does. That's crazy. And so like if I'm going to follow someone, I want to follow someone who lives and serves and loves like Jesus rather than other individuals. Talking about Jesus being a peacemaker, uh, God has been often referred to as a man of war, right? Throughout the Old Testament, God wasn't as peaceful in quotes. So my next question is, if that's the case, and if Jesus is a perfect um, perfect representation of the Father, one, does God exist? And then two, is he good if he does exist? And God existing is a really big question. And so is there, um, which, one do you want me to, which one do you want us to answer first? Does he exist? And then follow it with, is he good? Mm. I mean, that looks at why is there something instead of nothing? That's the first question you have to ask. Why is there something in existence rather than nothing? And what is your viewpoint on that, right? Do you believe that an infinite personal God created everything? Or you just believe that it's always existed in this chance that it's here? Space, chance, little time, and we have existence here. That's kind of atheism versus Christianity slash theism of any kind. Those are two options. So you look at, okay, which one is, makes more sense to you in that beginning? What else you got, Ro? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I referenced this last week, talking about Isaac Newton and how he was a Christian and how a lot of pioneers in, in the Enlightenment era were Christians because— um, they expected a law in nature, and they expected a law in nature because they expected a lawgiver, i.e. God. And so they had no problem seeing, you know, because they could understand gravity. It doesn't mean that, that, that the theory of gravity was a replacement for God. In fact, the theory of gravity is an explanation of how God did what he did. Um, you know, and, and as we come to understand the universe more, I don't think that our understanding of the universe is a replacement for God. I think it, it's an understanding of the mechanism of God and, and how he does what he does. The Big Bang Theory, for example— to me, is a mathematical explanation of Genesis 1-3, where 
when he said, let there be light. Um, I don't see it as a replacement for Genesis 1-3. I see it as an explanation. And so, I, I, like Andrew said, there, there's no one can ever explain why there's something rather than nothing without a creator. And I think that our understanding of science, it's foolish to think that our understanding of science is a replacement for that creator. The Bible says that Jesus is a perfect representation of the Father, right? And you said Jesus was very peaceful, peace-loving, loving people, right? But then through the Old Testament, God commanded kings to raid other mm -hmm. kingdoms and take things and kill people and even punished certain kings. Was it King Saul for not killing everybody or for not killing everything that ought to be killed? Yeah. That yeah. So, sound like peace so in First Samuel 14, yeah. they were fighting the Amalekites, yeah, Amalekites. And God told Samuel, wipe out everything, livestock, people, everything. And he didn't. He kept the smartest people. He wanted to bring them back to Israel. And then he kept a lot of the livestock. And that was a that was disobedience because he was trying to – he was doing something that God told him not to do in order that he could build his own kingdom because Saul saw Israel as his kingdom, not as God's kingdom. And so even though, yes, it seems harsh that God was telling him to wipe out the Amalekites, there was a reason for it. It's because Saul was in disobedience because Saul was trying to build his own kingdom for his own glory. There's a reason for that. Yeah, when we look at, like, yes, we see a lot of uh, death and destruction uh, in the Old Testament and some, in the New Testament as well, if we really think about it. Um, but looking at that, so when I'm saying that Jesus is a peacemaker inside of that, he establishes peace between um, us and God, first and foremost, mm -hmm. um, and helping us to have a right relationship. Um, and yes, he came in the way that he loved people who were less than women, um, people who were prostitutes, people who were invalids, who were demon-possessed. He loved the less than in society, and he wasn't over here buttering up the rich and the powerful inside of things. So he just operated in a way that was completely different. Um, now, when we look at God of, the, God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the same God. Nothing changed. Mm -hmm. um, and I love, like, when they're in Egypt, they're in Egypt for, like, 430 years, right? The Israelites are because he says the sins of the Amalekites and the people inside of where Israel's going, the promised land, are not yet great enough, right? And so he's giving the people time to change their ways. And how do we know this? When, they, when the Israelites go in there, we see Rahab, right? They're like, everyone's heard the stories about this God. Everyone knows what's happened. We know what happened in Egypt. We see how he's conquering, right? The Egyptians got to see what happened, right? And I know there are some Egyptian women who married Israelite, Israelite men, right? Just a fact in that. Um, but they saw what happened in Egypt. The people over there in the promised land had heard about what happened in Egypt. And Rahab, a prostitute in Jericho, she's like, we've seen, we've heard, Ran, I recognize it's the one true God. And so God reveals himself in supernatural ways through those miracles and whatnot. And there are people groups who are saved because they recognize that and they humble themselves. We'll see an entire civilization come in, uh, a entire people group come in and they lie to the Israelites and they say, hey, you know, we're, we've been... We've been wandering for years, you know, wandering for a while. We left our homes, but actually they live right next door. And so because of that, they're like, can we just be your, like, slaves? You're, and they're like, sure. And they find out that actually, oh, they're actually in the promised land. We're supposed to kill them. But we've already promised them we're going to protection. So they take care of that people group. I can't name them. I can't think of them right now. But we see God protecting people and wanting to bring people into the sheepfold. And he gives them opportunity for uh, to be saved and be a part of that. We also see him giving later on Nineveh, which is one of the, I mean, very – is heart center of the um, Assyrian Empire and how God sends Jonah, a prophet, to there. And then Jonah's, I don't want to go. Why would you save these people? And he's just like, man, because the children inside the city and the people are valuable to me. And we so see God's heart that everyone is valuable and he wants people's heart to turn towards him. Yeah, kind of that common question is why is why is the old, why is the New Testament the happy half of the Bible? And why is the Old Testament filled with hellfire and brimstone? And in the Old Testament, God is revealing himself through a people. 
And so there are just different actions that he has to take than in the New Testament where he is revealing himself through his son. Yeah, and it was always a plan to reveal himself through the, through the son because we see the people failing. Yeah. Right? As they're just like, we want to be like everybody else. Let's get a king. Oh, let's go offer sacrifices to God, but on high places where the old people used to offer to Baal. You know what? Let's just go ahead and worship Baal as well. Let's just worship these other gods. And they want to become like the people groups around them, and they don't do a good job of being obedient and sacrificing and honoring God. And so God says, my plan A, my plan's always been through Jesus. Yeah, and it really goes back to the fact that we look at God and we place a standard of goodness on him that he has not placed on himself. Um, in that we believe that God's mission for our lives is to make us happy, healthy, and wealthy, and to keep us here as long as possible. That's not what he's trying to do. Yeah, He's trying to save us. He's trying to give us eternal life. And so when we have the objective wrong, when we're, we're misaligned with God's objective, it's very easy to look at the world and see, why would God allow X, Y, and Z to happen? Why would God tell the Israelites to kill the Amalekites? Why would God allow my loved one to get cancer? Why would God allow me to go broke? Why would God let all these terrible things happen? And really what we're saying when we ask that question is, I cannot think of a good reason why God would do this. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there cannot be a good reason. And I think when you ask the question of why would God do all of these terrible things and kill all of these people in the Old Testament, he can't be a good God if he's doing that. What you're really saying is, I can't think of a good reason why God would do that. Therefore, there cannot be a good reason. And when you make that kind of claim, you're putting a lot of faith in your own intellect mm. because you are putting, you are risking, you are staking your eternity in the fact, in your belief that you have foreseen every outcome and you have foreseen every possibility. And there is, since you have not thought of a good reason, there is no possible reason that God would, that, that God would allow X, Y, and Z to happen. And I think that is a faith in your own intellect that I am not willing to, to give to my own intellect. Um, that, that's not a leap of faith that I'm willing to make. Mm. And so whether you're asking about why God would allow evil things to happen in the Old Testament, why he would allow people to die in the Old Testament, why he would allow people to die today, and terrible things to happen today, all of those questions are, are part of the same underlying misunderstanding. Yeah. We see God being a very just and righteous God and even punishing his own people many times for their failures and their sins inside yeah. of that because why we believe that there is sin in this world that was introduced because of a uh, finite individual, finite creation's free choice. That's what we all have. And his, Adam and Eve's free choice introduced sin and evil into the world uh, inside of that. And because of that, we all suffer from that and we all are separate from God. But yet God in goodness and kindness and love provides us a way to come back into his sheepfold, to become reconciled to him inside of that. And that's through Jesus. So we see his goodness and his patience inside of that. And just asking some of the questions I think about when you said, does God exist, right? Um, I said, well, if, if God doesn't exist, why is there evil in the world? What do we base that on, right? Where do we get our morals and our ethics, our right and wrong from? Where do we get our conscious thought from? Um, what's our basis for reasoning as human beings inside of that, right? What's our, why do we have worth as human beings versus other things, right? We start, if we don't have a God for this, you're like, man, there's actually... I don't have a conscience. There's no reason. This is just kind of, it's just there, right? I don't have, there's no right from wrong. It's just part of society, right? And it's just kind of like, there's, it doesn't, there's no answer to any question really, to any of the big questions. The reason why the abolitionist movement was led primarily by Christians is because Christians believe in a inherent worth in all, in every human being, because we're all created by God. Therefore, we had a rational basis for saying slavery is evil. We had a logical reason to say slavery is evil. If you don't believe in God, and you believe in nothing more than the human faculty and the human ability to reason between good and evil, well, how, how, can you, how can you stand on that and say definitively say that slavery is wrong? Because if you don't believe in God and you don't think that there's anything higher than us and that you know we're all just talking 
monkeys on a flying rock through space and the our thoughts and beliefs are nothing more than firing synapses in our brain, well, then how come the synapses in your brain are, are better than the ones in mine? Mm. You know, how, how can you logically say, on what basis do you say slavery is evil, therefore we should end slavery if you don't believe in God? You have to have God in that equation to logically say that slavery is evil. Wow, that's awesome. I remember this one time, I was, I was really, really young, and my brother, Dan, he, he had some uh, optical issues, right? And so... You know, they, they needed to get to Nairobi, which is the capital city of Kenya, um, so as to get to access uh, an ophthalm ophthalmologist. And so they got this bus ticket, right, uh, from this part of Kenya to Nairobi. And as they were journeying through, I think they were late to the bus station, so they missed their uh, bus, right, the one that was supposed to journey them to Nairobi. And uh, so they had to wait and to reschedule the appointments, yada, yada, yada. So they waited two hours. Uh, so the distance from this part, Migori to Nairobi, it's about eight hours, right, road trip. So that's really, really long, and the roads are not always great, or the roads are not always great from what I've been told. Um, so he me uh, they, they were not able to, they missed uh, the bus, essentially. So they had to wait for the next one two hours later. And the next one appeared. And so as they were journeying to Nairobi, they get to this part and they realized that the bus that initially took off had been involved in a terrible, terrible road crash. And all the occupants within this bus were dead, right? And so in that moment, you know, when they missed it and they were like, oh my God, oh my God, we had an appointment. It's going to cost so much money. And I don't think they were at that moment i don't think they, they they really had the ocular vision to realize that man something that god is protecting us from something you know they could not see that at that time right mm -hmm. up until they got to that scene and they were like oh my god that should have been me that should have been us and i think that story has been told to me and uh, it always just makes me understand that man the goodness of the Lord is more than what we can comprehend. Mm. And I'm not saying that God was not good to the occupants of that vehicle. I'm just saying that my brother and my uncle who were supposed to take him to this optician, uh, they were not, they, they felt bad in that moment. They were like, oh my God, we missed this. We have to wait for the next. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's the story. That's a, that's a great story right there. Another challenge, if you um, are having chat struggles with the existence of God in general, I really challenge you to pray for a couple of weeks, two to three weeks, and just say, God, reveal yourself to me. God, reveal yourself to me. And watch what he does. I challenge you to go back in time and to look at where you were five years ago. I think more, more, many times the evidence of God is not in what we hope to see, mm. but it's really in what we are currently seeing. But we end up getting too caught up and you know wanting the next which is essentially a human thing i want the next the next job the next thing and in, in, in doing so we don't realize that god has been good to us that the life we're living at the moment is essentially uh, evidence of god's goodness by pursuing the goodness of this world we miss the goodness of god absolutely i also want to issue another challenge to the audience if that's okay about 20 minutes ago we talked about how everything hinges on the resurrection of jesus if that gets disproven, the entire 2,000-year history of the church falls in on itself like a house of cards. My entire worldview is shattered. So I want to challenge our audience. If you do not believe in God, if you think that we're full of it, I want you to do everything in your power to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to report back to us. If you find something that completely disproves the resurrection of Jesus, I want you to tell us, because then that would mean my entire worldview is wrong. 
So, mm. if you were struggling, what's the challenge? If you were struggling with the existence of God, I challenge you to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. Because if you can do that, then the entire 2,000-year history of the Christian church falls in on itself like a house of cards, and my worldview is shattered. So mm. go back in this podcast when we talked about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus and what actually took place on that weekend in the first century. I want you to go back and dissect everything that we said in that podcast. Check it through scripture. Check it through history, uh, through uh, recorded history. I want you to check it and, and do as deep an investigation as you possibly can and prove to us that we are wrong. And I think that after you do that for maybe days, weeks, months, maybe even years, you will get to a point of frustration where you realize you cannot disprove the resurrection of Jesus. Is that how Timothy Keller became a Christian apologist, right? Um, I'm not sure on that one. Do you know? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think it's, I he think, knows. Yeah. I know. That's how um, Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That's how he became a Christian. No, it's Lee Strobel. There it's not go. Timothy Keller. Yeah, yeah. yeah Lee, Lee Strobel. Strobel yes. So if you want to, if someone's already done all the hard work in that, is uh, Lee Strobel, a Case for Christ. He's an investigative journalist and did it for like three years investigating the death and resurrection of Jesus. You can read his book and I'd also recommend reading that and doing your own research. What was your challenge to the audience? Andrew. Was it, the challenge of the audience is to read the book, A Case for Christ, um, if you have doubts about the existence of God slash the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in addition to your own external studies. This is just the more streamlined way. If you're curious as to why Neville made us repeat ourselves, it's because he pulled his phone out and recorded it because he wants to post that video. Just being transparent with the audience, that's why. No, they were <laughs> important, okay? We had no, to no, say no, it twice. Important, <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if the audience is curious why we had to say that twice, it's because Neville wanted to get a little video to put yeah, on Instagram. Right. Should we right. talk about the gospel? <laughs> uh, is that, yeah, we got time for one more question. We talk yes. about the gospel? Mm. What is the gospel? It kind of goes into all these combined. Like, we asked about why is there evil in the world, and right, it's saying that finite individuals, us, Adam and Eve chose, has free will, um, and chose to act against God, more or less. So there's sin, there's evil, that happened, right? And because of that, we were separated from God. Oh, am I, am I, we're doing this like a relay race? Yeah, for yeah, okay, okay like, it's like a, yeah, this is cool. Okay, this is cool, this is kind of improvised. Okay, so <laughs> we were separated from God and there's absolutely nothing that we could do to bring ourselves back to God under our own power. Why? We're standing on one side of the Grand Canyon, God is on the other side of the Grand Canyon, and there's this massive gap in between us caused by our own sin. Because we can't be in the presence of God, because the presence of God, by definition, mm -hmm. is a place without sin. Mm -hmm. And since we have sin, we cannot be in the presence of God. There's absolutely nothing that we can do about it to get rid of our own sin. And so what God did is he came down and he said, I'm going to pay the penalty for you. I'm going to send my son, God in the flesh, to live a perfect sinless life. He is going to take on sinful flesh. And for sin, he will defeat sin in the flesh, as Romans 8 tells us. And he's going to die the death that we deserve to die so that we don't have to. So he can pay the penalty on our behalf so that way we can come to the throne of God sinless in the eyes of God because mm -hmm. it has all been paid for by his son's blood. Yeah, because in the Old Testament, we had to, they had to offer sacrifices. They offer sacrifices to many different gods, the Israelites to God. And they have to do it all the time because they kept on sinning. Mm -hmm. And it'd be over and over and over again. And there'd just be like literally tens of thousands of sheep slaughtered. Uh, not even kidding. It's kind of gross. Um, and it wasn't enough, right? Because they kept on sinning and it was never made righteous. But through Jesus living that perfect life, was the ultimate perfect sacrifice that covers the sins past, previous, and future. And all it takes, um, I know it sounds simple, like really simple, but Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So it's a heart change and a verbal confession saying, I'm not ashamed of this anymore. I'm not ashamed of who he is because of what he's done in my life. And then the response after that is, I recognize his lordship. That means I'm going to do what he asks of me, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. There's this guy on the cross, his name is Jesus, and he's never done any wrong uh, in his life. I mean, 
he, he came to save you, right, essentially. And then he does a lot of good things to people, right? He heals the sick. He casts demon out of, uh, demons out of possessed people. And he builds up the church, essentially. And he has a following. And he's just doing good, man. He's coming to your party and then he's getting you boozed up. I mean, who doesn't want that? Water but, and a wine <laughs> reference. <laughs> anyway, um, this guy... Um, as people, we send him to the cross. Mark you, he's never done no wrong, right? And then we present him to Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate is like, okay, do with him as you please. And then people, they beat him up and uh, they torture him and then they put him up on the cross, right? And to his left, was it to his left? There was that guy who was like- it, It's not stated in scripture, but in medieval paintings, when the, and really in any painting of the crucifixion, the thief on the cross is on his, the, there are two people, there's, there are two robber or two violent criminals on either side of him. One is left, one is right. But are you are you the good that, one? No, not the good one. The one who was like, "Hey, I want to be with you in paradise." That's the guy on Jesus's right. He's always depicted on Jesus's right. So the guy on his right looks at him and is like, "Hey, no, no." The guy on his left was mocking him. It, it right. doesn't really were, matter which side they're on. It, yeah, it doesn't. They were both mocking him, saying, "If you were the real deal, if you were actually." The son of God, you could take us all down from these crosses and spare us these horrible deaths. So they're both mocking. They're him. both mocking him, but okay. then the guy we usually say the guy on Jesus's right has a change of heart instantly, and he says he he looks at the guy on the, on the other criminal and says, "You and I deserve to be here. This guy doesn't deserve to be here. He did nothing wrong." And then he looked at Jesus and said, "Will you, Lord, will you please remember me when you enter your kingdom?" And then Jesus said, "Believe me today, you will be with me in paradise." And, and so, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Violent criminal did nothing right his entire life. Scumbag of a human being in his last moments, looked at Jesus and said, I believe you are enough. I believe your invitation into heaven is enough for me. And because of that, this guy spends eternity in heaven. Not wow. because he went to a Bible study, not because he gave money, not because he memorized scripture, not because he went to the porch. It's because he looked at Jesus and said, I believe you are who you say you are, and I believe you are enough. Amen. So good. I love that. If you want to read that yourself, Luke 23, 39 through 43. I just much out those beautiful people. Uh, please ask questions, comments, whatever concerns, and we'd love to try and answer those. Share, subscribe, do the thing. Oh, yeah. Hasta pronto. <laughs> We're going to get back on our identity series next time. So, adios. Are we still doing the identity series? Do you, do, are you done? No, I just, I don't, I don't, I've never known what the series is. Anyway, <laughs> anyway go Tigers. We're done. <laughs> Episode's done. Go Cowboys. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.